Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast look at the Halloween franchise for at least eight consecutive weeks, and then maybe we're going to take a break. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always, my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm doing, uh, um, I'm, I, I'm grand, I guess. Yeah, how, 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 how are you doing, Darren? <laughs> are, are we doing the thing where how you are is relative to your experience having just watched the movie that we're covering today? I don't know. <laughs> what, what movie... <laughs> what movie are we talking about? Oh God! What what movie have I have I? We're talking about Halloween Resurrection. Oh, then I'm great. <laughs> have you just watched? Yeah, I've just seen my favorite movie. <laughs> you have indeed. <laughs> and 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 yes, um, <laughs> you yes is one of the 250 uh, best movies ever made. Yes, it's on my 250 list. Yes, it is deserved to die, and I hope they're burning hell. Um. Yeah, no, I, 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 uh, I'm doing great, Darren. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm just glad we're finally talking about a Halloween movie that you can really get I think behind. There's a massive delay. There is. There is a massive, massive, massive delay on your end. I think. I think the rest of us are fine. But I'm going to check by saying hello to our co-host Joey Kyo. How are you, Joey? Mickey Stearns' party is tonight, and you know that. <laughs> I love that I, line. <laughs> uh, he does know that, but he unfortunately forgot because he's on the internet. <laughs> yes, we are talking about Halloween Resurrection, a movie where, and I wanted to make a note of this because I watched it on Sky or Now TV, and their summary of it I just thought was kind of brilliant. It was basically, Slasher Michael Myers discovers that a web geek is making a Big Brother-style show in his house which is a hell of a premise for a movie. And joining us to talk about that movie, a fantastic guest, the wonderful Jess Dunn. How are you, Jess? Hi. Yeah, I'm really great. Um, It's interesting to describe the particular character as a web geek, because like the kind of young freshman, okay, fine. But like Buster Rhymes, web geek. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) It, it also kind of implies, like, a malice. Like, Slasher Michael Myers would be less bothered if cool rapper Buster Rhymes were making a Big Brother-style show in his hey, house. Hey. The fact it's a geek makes it particularly pointed. Sorry, Andrew. No, no, no. Yeah, it's... it's um, this isn't working at all. <laughs> um, I'm going to stop video. That's my, it's my wife's laptop, which worked fine the last way, time, all by right. the way. Um. All right, so... Yeah, it did. I was going to say. Yeah, it did. Um, but is it better now? Can you hear us now? Yeah, I don't know what's happening this time around. It's a, it's saying my bandwidth's very low. It says network bandwidth is low. Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah, it should it should be should be the same as it always is. I think it's, it's more the laptop that's the issue. Have you been guzzling too much internet? Mm. Greedy. <laughs> yeah. Um, Got a real oh, fuss of rhymes oh, over here. Watch, yeah, that's it. You've been watching too much Danger I Tank. think it's working better now that I've turned off uh, my video. Okay. All right. We, we will continue on and hope that this works. As um, you say, Dangertainment, I'm going to say yes. Okay. The delay is still very bad. Dangertainment. Yes. <laughs> Dangertainment. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. We're working with like a one second, maybe one and a half. Oh, okay. Delay. We can deal with that. Sorry. <laughs> Keep all of this in. <laughs> this is all gold. <laughs> to be fair, Andrew does speak slowly. So, like, this I is wouldn't true. have noticed. Deliberately. Uh, 
Yeah. Deliberately and with purpose. <laughs> yeah. But we are talking about Rick Rosenthal's 2002 slasher film, Halloween Resurrection, the eighth film in the Halloween franchise, the last in its particular set of continuity. And Jess, as we've had with all of our guests on talking about these movies, before we talk about the movie in particular, I want to talk about the Halloween franchise in general. What is your kind of memory of the Halloween franchise? Do you have any particular fondness for it? And like, what's your relationship with Michael Myers like in the grand canon of slasher villains? Yeah, sure. So it's one of those films that used to come up. A lot of my friends would kind of have sleepovers back in the day and kind of binge through slashers you'd have like your final destinations etc and I remember one time we did put on Halloween and we didn't really know much about it going into it what it was and yeah we kind of found it a little bit like goofy or kind of dated we really um loved Sam Hain that's something that we kind of quote back and forth to each other <laughs> being from Ireland it's just you know you get a bit of crack out of that um, but I, to be honest, I do find Michael Myers scary. I find the concept of him scary. Having seen more Halloween films since and all the rest of it, the kind of, you know, glaring, huge figure, maskless, so kind of emotionless, you know, they describe him as a shark. I think that very much kind of works. And yeah, there's just something about Michael Myers that's scary and almost like pre-natural in a way that you don't get with, say, like, Ghostface. Um, so, yeah, th- that would be my kind of, my feelings, my connection with with Halloween and with Mike Myers. I mean, it, it is, maybe, this is the wrong movie to ask this question, but since you kind of brought up that comparison with him and the other slashers, is, is it perhaps fair to say that Michael Myers has notions, the Halloween franchise <laughs> has notions, it's maybe the Rolls Royce of the classic slasher franchises. Is there a difference in class between it and, say, the Texas Chainsaw movies or the Chucky movies or the Elm Street movies? So for me, I mean, I find Michael Myers very similar to, say, the likes of Texas Chainsaw. Like, what terrifies me again about that protagonist is just how kind of anonymous, but like huge, hulking, and inevitable. It's that inescapable, this huge hulking figure that is dispassionate, but also will not stop and will not stop pursuing you and is going to get to every single person. And it is that kind of slaughterhouse thing of just dispassionately killing people in these ways, but not seeming to actually really get much out of it, which is kind of different to the likes of the Scream franchise or even the likes of like, I know what you did last summer, all these different things where you're kind of playing with the audience. You're having these memorable death scenes that are kind of interesting and kind of can be a bit slapstick sometimes or a little bit more serious sometimes. But yeah, it's just that kind of dispassionate, like he's going to get you. And can I ask, you You said you've seen several of the Halloween movies, and you, you referenced Carpenter's original, but you also referenced Samhain, which is from Halloween 2 and Halloween 6, um, but obviously both classics in the genre. <laughs> had you seen Halloween Resurrection, and like, do you remember the first time that you saw it? So I hadn't seen it prior to um, watching it for you, Darren, and now I'm quite mad at you, um, but we'll get into that later. Um, so but it has, it's shark metaphors. I was like, you did our shark season, you did our Jaws season. I was like, this is perfect fit, right? Yeah, and look, I mean, my read on, on the Jaws, you know, the sequel is that that is a slasher film. So I, I think mm-hmm. it's interesting the, the kind of way it goes back and forth between those two things. 
But um, no, I hadn't seen Halloween Resurrection prior to this. I had seen the the kind of new reboot, the most recent one. Uh, the Gordon Green movies, the trilogy? Yeah, 2018 on. Yeah, which I actually quite liked, to be honest, because it kind of it brought it back to Laurie. But yeah, so... All right. Um, we uh, we when we talk about Halloween Resurrection, we are going to skip over the production history of the first fifteen minutes because that is perhaps spoilery. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Who's to say? Hmm. But the bulk of the movie uh, had a very interesting production life, where basically they obviously the massive success of Halloween H two O, which was a runaway success for the franchise. It garnered like it did very well at the box office nationally, internationally. It Surfed got, that wave, right? It did, as we discussed. It kind of came as the part of the scream wave. Uh, it performed very, very well. It got strong reviews for a slasher movie. Uh, which is remarkable, particularly in the context of the 90s. Uh, you had, like, the cast and crew were going on, like, you know, they were doing Entertainment Tonight. They were doing the evening chat show circuit. It was kind of an event. It was respectable in a way that Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, was not respectable and was not a pop culture event. So naturally, the studio was like, okay, let's do that again. Now, there were several handicaps that were kind of put in their way. The first of which is that director Steve Miner, who had directed Halloween H2O, was like, nope, one and done, I'm out. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, who had signed a deal to make at least two of these movies. There's only one Halloween movie, so far as I'm concerned. (laughs) (laughs) And I did it. (laughs) I did it. Um, Hey, look, I made the perfect Friday the 13th sequel three times, so I guess I'm going to make the perfect Halloween sequel once. That's how the business works. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was like, okay, I'm contractually obliged to appear in the sequel to H2O, but you can have me for 30 seconds. They did eventually negotiate that up, um, and that was a point of contention. Apparently they had to fork over a large amount of money, but they had no idea what they wanted to do with the franchise. Apparently, like, the Weinsteins at one stage actually got so desperate that they suggested doing another sequel without Michael Myers in it. Um, at which point, Mustafa Akkad, who <laughs> last week said, he's like my son and you don't kill your son, was like, no, there is no circumstance where we are making a Halloween movie without Michael Myers again. I made that mistake once and it's not happening Wait. again. He hosted a also, web poll. we we should... Br- we should produce this movie with this guy who's like my son. <laughs> <laughs> Malika Gad. We will talk yeah. about Malika Gad. Um, but yes, we. <laughs> my two sons are involved in this movie and its production. But like Mustafa Gad, to prove his point in like the height of petulance, put a poll on like Halloween.com, the official website, asking fans would they go to see a movie without Michael Myers in it. And then apparently like brandish printouts in meetings with the Weinsteins to prove his point. This is how William Castle got. Sorry. By the way, that's Mu- that's Mustafa Akkad's uh, sitcom, My Two Sons. With, with- <laughs> <laughs> Michael and Malik. Um, yeah. But basically, they had no idea what they were doing. One of the producers who was involved in the film, uh, Paul Freeman, he had interacted with writer Larry Brand. He'd seen some spec scripts that Brand had written, and he quite liked his work. He brought him in to pitch to uh, Akkad and to pitch to the Weinsteins. And I absolutely love this detail. Brand had an idea for a horror movie that he described was going to be an inverse millennial war of the worlds. It was going to be about a live broadcast of an event that was really happening, but that everybody thought was fake. Hmm. That was the kind of killer in it. It's a great concept. The reversal of the classic story that people tell about Orson Welles' radio play War of the Worlds. Now, 
He was also like, nobody's going to produce that. So how about I just jam Michael Myers into the middle of it? And according to him, like, Mustafa Akkad, who at this stage was quite an old man who had been producing movies since the mid-70s, didn't entirely understand the pitch, but was like, I like your energy. I feel like this could go somewhere. Um, One of the big barriers uh, with regards to developing that movie was the title. And there were several problems with the title. Brand had proposed HalloweenMichaelMyers.com. Uh, which was a problem because the producers did not own the domain michaelmyers.com. They had not got in there quick enough this, in the dot-com bubble. This, the <laughs> same problem with fear.com. Yeah, yes, yeah. But it didn't stop them. Um, <laughs> no. No. The other thing was that Mustafa Akkad was desperate for the world to know that his son was in this movie. That he didn't want a situation like Season of the Witch where fans would be worried that there wasn't going to be any Michael Myers in the movie. So he insisted on a title that would remind viewers that Michael Myers was in the movie. Apparently he was talked down from Resurrection of Michael Myers to just Resurrection, hoping that the audience would kind of get what the implied Resurrection was. But basically, so, the, you know, they went to the studio, Brand wrote his script... And as tends to happen in Hollywood, the the script was basically like shorn for parts by the production team. It was torn kind of limb from limb. They went to find directors for this movie. At one stage, they apparently tried to get back Dwight Little, who directed Halloween 4, which is a cult movie. Um, They also approached a number of other directors as well, including like Whitney Rancic. Now, Rancic has said he was never under contract to direct the movie, but according to the Weinsteins, he was fired before they entered production, Hmm. uh, which led them to turn to Rick Rosenthal, the director of Halloween 2. The director of Halloween 2 that John Carpenter found to be so incompetent, he went out and basically reshot the entire movie himself. And I think if you watch Halloween Resurrection, you kind of probably end up taking a side in that debate between Rick Rosenthal and John I, Carpenter. I Sorry, feel yeah. like you're you're putting that a little bit in John Carpenter's mouth, though. Like when, when we covered Fair. Halloween 2, he was much more magnanimous about it. Yeah. Yeah, it was like Rosenthal's gone on to have a career. The movie just wasn't scary, so I went back and I I reshot. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he he threw Rosenthal under the bus for. It's not like uh, when he fought with Rob Zombie and he was like, "No, he disrespected me." <laughs> um, we used to be yeah, friends. No, <laughs> Carp- this was this was early eighties Carpenter. Carpenter. This was still like very relatively friendly Carpenter, who would say things about you, but would be polite and be sure that you had a career before he said anything that could be construed as a criticism of you. <laughs> he hadn't run out of his Budweiser just yet. Ian, not still, run out of the six pack had of Budweiser. <laughs> Hadn't moved on to the weed, though. That was the thing. Or the uh, Xbox video games. <laughs> but basically, yes. Yeah, so they go, they bring in Rosenthal. Um, they, they also try to bring back LL Cool J, but run into one very serious problem. The problem is that LL Cool J is now a hugely successful actor and is too expensive for them to hire to appear in a Halloween movie. Now... In Hollywood at that moment in time, not only did LL Cool J pop in Halloween H2O. And toys, of course. It appears that more than ladies loved Cool James. Audiences loved Cool James too. Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> toys, of course. His greatest movie. <laughs> His masterpiece. Uh, Deep Blue Sea as yes. well. To bring back movies about sharks. So, but the, again, you have this kind of interesting thing in Hollywood, which we'll talk about, where they become kind of more aware of African-American audiences around this time. You start seeing the insertion of more African-American characters and actors into into movies. And here, obviously, you have, like, Tyra Banks as a major role. 
But also, they're like, we have to fill at least one role in the cast with a prominent rapper-turned-actor, so they hire Buster Rhymes. And not only do they hire Buster Rhymes as part of his contractual terms to work on the movie, Buster Rhymes gets to rewrite his own dialogue. That is one of the terms and conditions. He gets control of the character, and he gets to rewrite his own dialogue. So they shoot the movie. It's, it's due to release 2001, so three years after the previous Halloween movie. However, it is disastrous. The initial cut of this movie, it will shock, shock, shock people who have seen this movie. The initial cut of this was not well-received within the studio. They held a test screening out in New Jersey, um, again, for largely an audience of teenage boys, and uh, they did not care. They did not care for the movie. And they had some notes. We got all the teenage boys in Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> the Sioux streets are so safe. <laughs> Their big note was apparently more Buster Rhymes, which I find like yes. even the Weinsteins, even the Weinsteins, like according to Rick Rosenthal and Larry Brand, even the Weinsteins, the most craven, like test group focused producers in the history of Hollywood, were like can we run the numbers again on that please (laughs) but yes so the movie went back into reshoots and ended up releasing in july 2002 which is the (laughs) earliest in the calendar year that a halloween movie has i just imagine them telling buster rhymes and him like with his quill like furiously writing more lines and it's like (laughs) or somebody writing it for him and it's like buster you 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 go too fast (laughs) (laughs) um but yes, okay, so that is the long and storied production history of Halloween Resurrection. Joey, do you remember the first time you saw this movie that we're talking about today? Uh, as with the others, it was probably in the middle of the day on American television. But I think as I uh, mentioned, probably when my husband was on the podcast with us, we did do this thing called Bad Movie Friday during the pandemic and we watched, we double billed H2O and Resurrection. Ooh. <laughs> and we had a great time. <laughs> well, this is very much a duology. This is the second yeah. half of Resurrection to the point where like the opening scenes of this without getting into spoilers are very much like what you didn't see at the climax of H2O. <laughs> yeah, um, like so stupid, but in a, in a kind of a charming, kind of an endearing way where you're like, immediately uh... you start questioning things. <laughs> I love that Andrew's like, is it really endearing? Is it really? Um, (laughs) 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 Well, I mean, like, again, it is a movie that feels like it is cravenly patterned after the success of H2O. It is, yeah. Uh, Like, it it is very much like the producers saw the success they had with H2O and were like, let's do that again. Okay, so here's the pitch. We're bringing back Jamie Lee Curtis again. Let's take a big dump on that movie that we respect so much. Um, but it's like, like we mentioned that like the thing about H2O was it released in August, which was out of season for a Halloween movie, which always released in October, except for that one time they did the last weekend in September. And like, I love that, like with Resurrection, they're like, I think this is a summer franchise. I think the teen boys in Jersey get some air conditioning, get some Buster Rhymes. This could be a hit. It's such a fascinating object uh, particularly like in relation to h2o jess uh, like you had not seen this had you seen halloween h2o before you had seen this movie yes so i had <laughs> and yeah i suppose after the spoiler zone we'll talk about it but this just feels <laughs> like two films frankenstein together so i'm fascinated to hear kind of where that's coming from because i think it definitely comes across yeah 
Um, all right, then we will we will rush through this. But uh, Joey, do you think Halloween Resurrection belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies or the 100 worst movies ever made? No, it doesn't belong on either. Much like most of the movies in this franchise, <laughs> it's just kind of middle of the road, isn't it? And it's yeah, it's a very odd movie not necessarily a complete failure like five and six which it was just like oh when is this gonna be over like it's it's an easy enough watch but it doesn't differentiate itself enough to be either great or terrible yeah i think there's a kind of a gulf with this between what it seems to be attempting and what it Mm. is actually capable of is is maybe the generous way of phrasing that but jess Hot off the presses, having just been subjected to Halloween Resurrection, being angry at me for even asking you, and I am sorry for that, I really am. Uh, do you think Halloween Resurrection belongs to the list of the 250 greatest movies or 100 worst movies ever made? So this is a first for me in terms of the worst, as having been on 250 a couple of times. To be honest, I do think it kind of makes it onto the, the worst 100 films I've personally seen, because it <laughs> doesn't for me work as a Halloween film and it doesn't work as a slasher film. I think, Darren, like you say, I'm always happy to kind of meet a film where it's at and what it's trying to do. And I don't think it does what it's trying to do. I kind of got that like Blair Witch early 2000s kind of internet thing about, you know, like what people will believe and what they're seeing. But it just didn't work for me. Um, and it kind of now makes sense why, but yeah, it, it earned its spot in that in that way. And I also just think the deaths are not that interesting, yeah. or there mm-hmm. wasn't any kind of moments where it really stuck out to me as memorable, or it it's just so so just forgettable that that yeah it just didn't work for me yeah i mean again i'm not gonna put words in John Carpenter's mouth with regards to Rick Rosenthal, but it is worth noting the big the changes that he made to Halloween 2 in response to Rosenthal's direction of that movie were, first of all, to, like, bridge lots of gaps that he had created by taking out lots of exposition scenes. But second of all, to add lots of violence and shocks. Like, Carpenter's big thing stepping into, like, ghost-direct portions of Halloween 2 was that Rosenthal was not great at suspense and not great at shock and not great at horror. And I think watching Resurrection, you maybe get a vibe of that. You maybe, mm. maybe Carpenter was justified, I think, retroactively, perhaps. Um, but Andrew, what about yourself? Uh, do you think, like, look, we know this is your favorite Halloween <laughs> movie. We, we know it is movie. in your soul. Just in general. <laughs> yeah. I think it's we, perfect. We established long before we had ever uh, come to this movie that this was my, um, this was my movie. It's, yeah. Favorite Halloween. It, it's it's really um like seriously proper dumb um it, co- it completely <laughs> undercuts the previous movie and really un, un- underserves a a beloved character um it, yeah. it has like terrible music playing over exposition to a point where you can can't even hear it. like so it's like badly made it's gratuitous like dated internet chat um, which just makes the, the the movie seem like far older than than it needs to be because it's trying to be <laughs> so H two O or Halloween oh, yeah, six, but it's trying to be so current, like um, and um, the climax of this movie hinges on a palm pilot. Yeah. Not, like, without getting spoilery, but the climax of this movie hinges on a palm pilot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, because because um, it, <laughs> it does, it does. Because one of the characters, Sarah. <laughs> 
is a college student and also a chartered accountant. Yeah. <laughs> she, um, <laughs> like, it's, uh, yeah, no, it's, what it's, what, the, do you want to know the really depressing thing about that, though, is that, like, it's not mobile phones because the producers wanted it to be more modern and more hip and more relevant. So they were like, will it be mobile phones and will they be texting? It's like, no, texting is so year 2000, 20, 2001, pagers, baby. That's I, where we're at. Pagers. Can I just say, in, in about, like, um, 2008, I think, I got my dad's old Palm Pilot, and it was like a smartphone before there were smartphones. It was fantastic. Um, but, like, only <laughs> people's dads had them. <laughs> mm. <laughs> nobody, nobody I don't know just, anyone who had one. Like, yeah, like... like because Blackberry's kind of uh, got into the mainstream at a certain point, but mm. but uh, Pan Pilots never really did. But they were they were they were great. They were just like a, an an early smartphone. They probably cost a ridiculous amount. Just too far before its time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Much like this movie, Jess, it was too yeah. far ahead of its so, time to be properly understood as the masterpiece that it but is. Like, like, um, like Buster Rhymes is in this movie, and um, he certainly is. Uh, it's it's one of the top two hundred fifty movies ever made. <laughs> like knock off, like Shawshank Redemption, knock off Godfather Part Two, Make Room, Halloween Resurrection is here to play. Joey, would this be on your own personal 250, your own 250 favorite movies, or your 100 most hated movies? Again, no, it's not going to be on either, just because it doesn't make enough of an impact. How does it rank in the franchise for you? That's a good question. Like, so is this, like, you don't have to give an exact ranking, we'll probably do that when we talk about mm. ends, but like, is it, It. I'm hoping it's not top, I'm getting the sense it's not <laughs> top. Is it middle or bottom? It's probably, yeah, middle or bottom. I find it obviously find it easier to watch than Season of the Witch, which we all know I hate. But uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's not a better made movie than Season of the Witch. So we're ranking in terms... Because there would have been words. <laughs> if we're ranking in terms of quality, it would obviously not be above it. But yeah, it's again, it's just middle of the road all around. All right. I, I feel like that's generous. Uh, like, I mean, I, I feel like middle of the road kind of gives it a, a, a patina of quality that I'm not sure the movie hits. I... I think it's many things. I don't know it's middle of the road. Um, but Jess, what about yourself? Like, you said it's one of the worst 100 movies you have ever seen. Okay, you're nodding in agreement within an audio medium. Um, yeah. yeah, I just, to be honest, I feel like it fundamentally does not understand the concept of suspense, which is pretty important mm. for a horror movie. Like, there's no kind of tension between... At times I was like, so... We know Michael Myers is alive, like, but it's doing all this mask stuff, but like, we know. And then it kept doing the mask thing and, and kind of playing around. But I was like, but we know he's back and we know now who's wearing the mask at all times. So like, where is the tension between this? Where is the suspense? And even then the internet watchers, it's like, I thought that was going to make a point somewhere. And, and then it just didn't. It completely undercut that towards the end, as you're kind of saying. So... Yeah, it's just, I don't think it understands horror, which is a pretty big failing for a slasher. And then there was no kind of different or memorable or, you know, kind of even just like creative deaths, which again, for a slasher, I just don't think it worked on any level. It didn't work on a visual level. It didn't work on a narrative level. It didn't work on a Michael Myers level. So for me, it, it just, it doesn't make a cut. 
Uh, hi, oh, I like that. Um, and Andrew, is this one of the 250 best movies you've ever seen? You don't have to answer this. We already know that it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's it's top. Um, I yeah, it, it's it's <laughs> it's got it. it it's it, like the thing is, it it's sort of uh, imaginative. You you made reference earlier to the kind of reverse War of the Worlds thing, but it kind of achieves that through really grainy CCTV. That's I guess other movies had kind of done and uh but and it feels very sort of current, but like damagingly so. It looks bad. It's <laughs> uh, it's not it's not a good movie to look at. Uh, there, there, there's also there there's some okay actors in this, but they're not good mm. in the movie. Um yeah. they're, they're, like it was great to see like Sean Patrick Thomas as well, who's one of the three name Sean's. Like there's a whole bunch of them. Like Robert Sean Leonard, uh Sean William Scott, Sean uh, Patrick Thomas. It's great to see him here. Why does it say special appearance by though? <laughs> like <laughs> he requested that. It's, it's some, some, <laughs> but no, some people... but what I mean is he's a full character. Like he's a full character in the movie. So, I... so it's not really a special appearance. <laughs> He's a biggish star, though, at this point, isn't he? Yeah, no, I know, but is is that all it is? Is it just that they're saying, by the way, Sean Pat Sean Patrick? He's Thomas not the lead. Okay. Yeah, he's not the lead, but he's here. We okay. promise. <laughs> Did I see a movie recently? Because I just thought he had like a more presence. Did I see a movie recently where it said like and introducing and then it was some like really old actor who's been in everything? Yes, um, it was. Uh, it was Paul. It was Paul Rudd in um, Mutant, Paul Stephen Rudd yeah. in Mutant Mayhem. It was a joke. Ah, brilliant! It was yeah. a great joke. Yeah, the, the, the be- very funny. The best um, is Boss. As a as a <laughs> it's like bus bus as a credit right. coming in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like Jamie Lee Curtis, but Buster Rhymes. Um spe- speaking of Sean William Scott, uh, Thomas Ian Nicholas is, is is in it as well, who we also know from American Pie. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well again, this this is a movie that exists in the wake of that kind of fad of teen movies. This this feels again if H2O is influenced by movies like Scream and those postmodern slashers, I'm not going to list them all again, Andrew, don't worry. <laughs> it does feel like like this movie is arriving in the wake of like the spoof movies, the revival of like the scary movie franchise because you've had sc- It feels like a mad TV sketch kind of or yeah, or maybe maybe like um, like Mad TV is known for being kind of a little low rent, but uh, like less um, quality than than we're used to seeing in that. I did, yeah, it 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 is it is like you're saying the not not another teen slasher movie kind of uh, space. Because <laughs> it, it again, it's a thing where it feels like we've gone past the point of like postmodern self awareness and ended up in self parody. Where, like, as Jess said, there is no suspense here. There's no tension. It often feels like it, it's an unintentional comedy at points. Like, I think it's intentional, though, as well. It, it's a very strange movie. That didn't even come across for me. Like, I can appreciate a film that's so bad that it's good or that's so bad that it's funny. Um, like, I didn't care for the new uh, Texas Chainsaw, the recent one. I just thought it was ridiculous and not in the ways it was trying to be. But I don't even get that like we said like there's really kind of interesting actors in this like when I saw Tyra Banks I was like oh my god because I'm just you know everyone's kind of sharing the the worst clips of her from America's Next Top <laughs> Model so I was expecting something and it just it gave me nothing so very little yeah I don't know I think 
I think the Busta Rhymes stuff is meant to be funny, though. Yeah, I think so, too. The thing is, though, I think that's rhymes is is rhymes is responsible for that being funny. It's yeah. not a choice being made by the movie around him. I think. Yeah. And is Halloween fair. supposed to be funny? Like, I don't find Michael Myers funny. I I actually think he works. So it kind of it's like you're trying to undercut this thing, but the whole thing about Michael Myers is that he is unkillable. He's unstoppable. He's so like strong. So it just doesn't work. And we mentioned, by the way, appearances of up-and-coming actors. Uh, we should note, by the way, that this is such a... Uh, I'm going to say it. It's a low-rent production. That feels mean, but it feels fair. Yeah. Uh, they misspell Katie Sackhoff's name in the opening credits, which is quite impressive. I was... I was. They misspell her name. Sorry. I was watching... Yeah, it feels very low-budget to the point that I'm I'm watching Katie Sackhoff and thinking kind of it's a, it's a low budget Britney Murphy but then I realized no that's Katie Sackhoff she's actually quite good <laughs> it's just this movie is pants like um yeah, yeah. I mean I mean like like you know she's she's decent she's been in some stuff she's kind of proven that she can do um a good job but this is not good no no it's not I mean we, we should note by the way that again this is a movie where not to excuse Larry Brand the credited screenwriter on the movie but as Jess said, there's this kind, of, and as as Andrew kind of alluded, there is this weird sense of is it, is it a parody of a Halloween movie? Is it an actual Halloween movie? Is it a slasher movie? Is it trying to be funny? Is it trying to be scary? Brand's original script was much more, according to him. Now, the, the very self-serving narrator here with a very selective account of the history of this movie, but it was like he wanted the movie to be deconstructive, so he wanted to do something like introduce hypothetically say uh, Sarah Moyer who's played by Bianca Kajalik as the final girl and then kill her off halfway through and reveal the real final girl is the blonde kind of ditzy Jennifer Jen Danzig played by Katie Sackhoff which may explain if you're watching the movie why Sarah gets no characterization whatsoever and the movie spends a lot of time with Jen and then just kind of flips at a certain point and it's like i guess this is where we're going he's talked about like wanting things in there like subversive scares like you know instead of doing a cat jumps out and scares a man he had a sequence where michael myers scares a cat (laughs) and apparently the weinsteins were having none of this i want to actually get a quote up here uh from the writer from larry brand talking about it because he, he basically i would have loved that to be honest i think that would have been really interesting and again like I think because of what Halloween is and the kind of iconography of black cats and everything, that would have been great. And that would have been so memorable. I'm just stuck on, are you telling me the character's name is Jen Danzig? Yep. Like like Glenn Danzig? Yep. Who's Glenn Danzig? That's... What? <laughs> okay, Andrew, enough out of you. <laughs> um, I only know Jen Danzig. <laughs> the the character from halloween resurrection (laughs) jen danzig wow i didn't notice that (laughs) but basically the quote i'm looking for is basically um that according to the writer of the movie larry brand uh bob weinstein was a fucking moron oh there we go oh i found the actual quote apologies um sorry (laughs) 
I had a scene of a cat walking down an alley and a person emerges from the dark to scare the cat. Now that was kind of cool and about as deconstructionist as you can get. That's where you take a cliche and turn it around 180 degrees. The person startles the cat rather than the cat startling the person. But the concept didn't survive, which was no surprise given the studio involved. The reputation of Bob Weinstein, who was running Dimension at the time, was not that of a highbrow intellectual. His reputation is that of a moron. So I guess I'm actually referring to his underlings that read stuff and gave him notes because I'm not sure he can actually read, let alone <laughs> sit through a 100-page script. Wow. Um, there's a moment where like, he talks about them bringing in Aaron Kruger, who was the man responsible for writing like The Ring and Transformers, but Larry Brand is a great interviewer, where he basically says, like, it was so unbelievably incompetent you'd believe he'd never saw a Halloween movie. There were all these supernatural elements, including a Ouija board. What in the hell is a Ouija board doing in Halloween? The script stole from every dumbass horror movie you've ever seen. One shot had Michael Myers walking down the street and all the street lamps flicker as he passes by them. As a writer, you're always the one receiving notes but on this script i got to give notes on it i sent mustafa over 20 pages of notes pointing out every stupid thing in the script he forwarded them to miramax and said we're either moving forward with larry's script or we're finding another financier so that kind of gives you a sense of like what the production was like what the script process was right on like on this movie uh, and for myself no i don't think this is one of the worst 100 movies i've ever seen i kind of prefer it to five and six uh if we're being entirely honest yeah um, i do too I do too. I think it's interesting. I think it's bad. I think it's very bad. Oh, it's uh, I bad. think this. I it's think just, this. It's bad in a less boring way. Yeah. Is yeah. Is the thing. It's 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 more watchable. Um, it's not competent, but it's definitely more watchable than those two. All right, and then Joey, if listeners have not seen Halloween Resurrection, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it to a local device? Absolutely, double bill it with H two O. So make sure you can follow what's going on there. Otherwise, you might get lost. I yeah, feel like might be confused. That's a double bill that helps resurrection but hurts H two O. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I feel like it's a movie that it's a it's a double bill that flatters this movie at the cost of like a movie people actually liked. Jess, <laughs> would you recommend pausing the podcast and watching this movie, whether by itself or in a double bill with Halloween H2O. I would recommend it as a double bill with the new Texas Chainsaw. I think it's kind of nearly closer to what that was trying to do, but it still doesn't make it for me. So I think if you're going to engage with it, do it that way, but I wouldn't be holding your arms to do it. <laughs> this this is the one where um, Leatherface kills all the influencers, right? That's the that's yeah the, the tick the TikTok moment, like spinning around, and he's literally like advancing on people, and they're just holding a camera and not reacting to being murdered. <laughs> this is what happens when people who have never met teenagers are asked to write. What is a TikTok? Is the first note on a script when they get a pitch from an executive. So annoying because slashers are for teenagers. It's their teen film. Yeah, um, they're 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 all glued to their like um you know phones and they don't care about being killed well i mean yeah i mean they don't turn them off during a movie even when they're in a movie it's profound if you think exactly. about it i kind of like but that. if you think <laughs> if you think about all the the violent acts though that people have filmed yeah and witnessed and not intervened in i don't I know i thought that. that new texas chainsaw was uh was pretty scary it's like it's a fucking mess don't get me wrong and it looks like shit but yeah, I don't know. I 
So maybe a good comparison to this movie is what you're saying, Joey. You're no, agreeing with I, Jess. No, I'm not. I, I don't actually see the connection between the two. I think what that is trying to do, it's a much rougher, much more intense movie. And with this, this was, I don't know, trying to be fun in some way. Like, I don't think that movie is fun. It's It's a tough, tough watch. That is so interesting because I feel the inverse about those two things. I feel like Texas Chainsaw was trying to be fun and not quite getting it. I did think there was moments in there that were like close to being scary, but just didn't have enough room around them to really work for me. So that it's that's interesting. Yeah, like Leatherface is like the ultimate for me. Like nothing freaks me out like a guy with a chainsaw. Even when I'm at like horror haunts and there's someone with a chainsaw, I'm just like, no, too much. So it's probably... I'm at, if I'm at a DIY store and somebody has a chainsaw, I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh. I heard one recently and I seriously nearly took off running because I was like, why does someone have a chainsaw? We live in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> they seem grossly impractical tools. Um, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Andrew. Um, so I mean, to... we don't really have to ask, but do you we think... We need to stop trees. <laughs> <laughs> encroaching on our exactly. land. Um, but Andrew... <laughs> It's where wolves live. They live I in like the trees. I like bus lanes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not cycle lanes, bus lanes. But Andrew, Andrew, oh my god! Chop down those trees. Um, cover them in little <laughs> yellow ribbons. <laughs> What's that line from The Simpsons? If nature had its way, it would kill you and everyone you cared about. Exactly. Um, but Andrew, if listeners have not seen Halloween Resurrection, canonically your favorite movie in the history of cinema, would you recommend that they pause the podcast right now and stream it to a local Yeah, device? I would. Like, I, I, I think it is kind of a how did this get made sort of type movie. Yes, and, um, definitely. I think it's fun how, how bad it is. And I also think it's interesting. Like, it's not uh, boring in a way that some of these uh, movies were. I didn't think Six was boring at all, but I, I found... Kind of uh, <laughs> four and five, yeah, and probably two. Even though two was good in terms of the kills, I just kind of hated that movie. I hated being kind of in in the movie, and yeah. Um, but no, I, they, this isn't this isn't boring. I th- I think it's 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 sort of fun, and it, it gets really it gets really wild, and 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 there's a lot of like. Uh, <laughs> kind of underused actors and um, and stars who aren't actors, <laughs> which is always fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and for myself, I guess, look, if you have followed along with the podcast, if you've watched five, if you've watched six, I love that Andrew's like, the issue is four, two, four, and five. And I'm like, no, the issue is five and six. That's where the divide is here. Um, Why do you like if- four? I, I don't like 4 that much, but I think it is a better made movie than, like, this or so 5 or 6. Like, it's... It, it is, but it's competent. Mm. Like, it's... I do not love it. It's not... It's sitting in the lower middle rankings for it's me. It's really boring. <laughs> yeah. I, 4, 5, and 6 kind of just blend into 1. Okay. I, okay. I, I, I love that, like, we, we did spend the entire fourth podcast complaining about people who like that movie and i, I oh yeah now, I, now i'm the one who's like no 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 seriously though it's it's, well, it's think serviceable i sent you a tweet after we did that episode to be like yeah. see <laughs> everyone Dan- everyone does love daniel it. daniel harris i think I, I i did that thing as as well i named us that, that wag who used to go out with like was it teddy Sheringham or something but it, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah no da- daniel <laughs> harris is what i meant to say she's much better in five than she is in four, which is understandable because oh. of it, like like how 
like wet behind the ears she is in four. Growing yeah, up. Yeah. Yes, growing up works. Being like one ninth of your life older. Oh yeah, no, but it, she co- comes on in leaps and bounds to 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 five. I think she's much better. All right, so yes, <laughs> I would say watch Halloween Resurrection if you're watching along with us. Um, if you're not, you can skip it. It's not a particularly essential installment. If you liked Halloween H2O, it's maybe better to leave that unimpeached. <laughs> but if you are at all curious about the discussion we're about to have, feel free to watch it. I mean, it's, you've probably watched worse movies this season with us. With that in mind, we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone. So, Jess, what is Halloween Resurrection about for you? So this is a really difficult question because (laughs) as I was kind of watching it, I felt like it was about one thing and I felt like it was going in, in one direction and then it completely undercut that. So I think the the War of the Worlds um kind of concept does come across somewhat and you're kind of like oh, they really don't know that this is real and are they going to figure it out? And But then it doesn't really get that tension right and then they realise it is real. So it was, I was kind of like, is it about that? I think for me, Halloween as a franchise and Michael Myers as a concept is about death. The inescapable, just it's going to get you, it's going to get everybody, there's no way around it, there's no escaping it. That is what Michael Myers embodies to me, but this film, I I couldn't tell. <laughs> uh, do we want to talk a little bit about the opening fifteen minutes? Then now, we're, by the oh, way, that's a very good encapsulation of what Michael Myers kind of represents. Yeah, like in 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 those terms that every kind of you know monster represents something. Like that 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 people talk about kind of like um, you know. Uh, vampires representing the 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 ruling classes yeah um um what what's that darren the zipless fuck that's the the stephen king description but yes they are the parasitic upper classes yes as well yeah and there's also an idea sometimes and not always but sometimes there's an idea of um zombies being the working classes or sometimes of being consumers consumers Mm. yes Mm. Literally brainless consumers, mindless consumers. But yeah, no, I mean, like, again, it, it's it's interesting to, to Jess's point there, like, It Follows is a very literal example of that, where that is a slasher movie about something that follows you inevitably and catches up with you. And it is shot exactly like John Carpenter's Halloween. The figure moves like Michael Myers in John Carpenter's Halloween. He uses the frame in the same way that John Carpenter uses the frame, where the thing is walking down the street in the background of the shot, just like Halloween. So I, th- I think that's a very astute observation about like what Michael Myers is. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting parallel um, with It Follows. Uh, to me, it's kind of broader than just being about death or a metaphor for death, this kind of inescapable force is actually forced heterosexuality and how inescapable it is and how pervasive it is. Um, you know, we have this very clear kind of STI idea coming throughout, but then at the end, the couple are walking together holding hands and it kind of gets this idea across of you either have to comply to heteronormative monogamy or perish in a very explicit way. That's fair. Uh, And we have been talking like as we go through the Halloween franchise, obviously about like the sexual politics of slashers and how traditionally 
They're about like enforcing chastity and punishing promiscuity. And I think like it follows, as you point out, obviously belongs in that tradition as well. But getting back to that argument about like Michael Myers as the idea of an encroaching and inescapable and unavoidable death marching through Haddonfield. And in the context of this specific movie, the unavoidable and inescapable death of Laurie. Just Stroud. not in the context of this movie. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, I suppose. Because, <laughs> um, yes, obviously, we talked about this last week and we put the discussion off until we got here. During production of Halloween H2O, there was a point where there was loggerheads between Jamie Lee Curtis and Mustafa Akkad. Jamie Lee Curtis was like, I'm coming back and I'm killing Michael Myers. That's the only reason I'm coming back to make this movie. Why would I come back and make a Halloween movie where I don't get to kill Michael Myers? Mm. Mustafa Akkad, on the other hand, was like, I like Good money. Good choice, by the way. What? <laughs> no, it, it, it was an excellent choice for that movie. It is what we talked about. It feels satisfying. Like, a lar- large part of, like, I suspect You're why that movie... You're rooting for her the entire time. Yeah. In a way that with, yeah. With, yeah. with a lot of these Halloween movies, you're not rooting for the people... That you kind of replace Laurie with. No, not but at even all. in Halloween, no. you you don't have this like like you feel for the other teens, but not in the same way that you do for Laurie, I guess. Because it's the re-traumatization. It's yeah. the cycle that she's stuck in. Her whole life has to revolve around him. So, yeah, you've got to let her kill him. And you believe mm-hmm. in her strength, you know, in her power, like to overcome this trauma. And that's really kind of empowering. Yeah. Yeah. So naturally, we immediately undermine it. Um, but you're like. Which is unforgivable. <laughs> it's yeah. So, so bad. Like, it's the worst thing about this movie, in my opinion. It's just the way that they like have like a conversation between two yes. uh, people working in a psychiatric Two hospital. nurses, two doctors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, oh. So none of that stuff at the end of the movie actually yeah, happens? As you already know. So, so she cut off the head of some innocent guy? Oh, I, there, I, I, I'm going to need a lot more explanation of that. Okay, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you see this? This is what but happened. why didn't he say anything? Oh, don't worry. We know why he didn't say anything. But also... He's not like seven foot, like the, like what? They'd be the exact same <laughs> yeah. height and weight, and like the one thing, or the but like the eyes, like when she's looking into his eyes, does she not think that's not? She's the only one who's got close enough to be like those aren't his eyes. Also, no one noticed that paramedic had a giant knife. <laughs> I was just w- wandering around brandishing it. No one's like, hey. Bill, what are you doing over there? Like, I'm going off to see my three kids. So, um, and by the way, yeah. M- Michael Myers made off without his mask then, right? Yes. Yes, yeah. he did. Yeah. yeah. Just, I mean, like, hey, I, I got to go. I'm going to leave this gated community. Um, <laughs> I'm going to pick up another mask somewhere. You know, they're all selling Michael Myers masks. I, I imagine Michael Myers like running away. Like, uh, 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 it's like, can't kill anybody. <laughs> not wearing my mask. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fight the urge, Mikey. Fight the urge. Yeah, You're urge stronger than this. <laughs> You're stronger it than this. It kind of puts him in into being a different type of killer because it seems to be like, you know, he's this like animalistic just killing with no reason no rhyme or reasons dispassionate it's just anyone he comes across that does not mesh with i'm gonna sneak away <laughs> oh yeah but it's, he also it's true and i'm and i'm glad they picked that back up in the new halloween trilogy for like anyone who's got criticisms of that trilogy they do pick that back up where he's just 
an unstoppable force. He's just killing everyone in his path, apart from that baby. And <laughs> because but, you're uh, right, because in, he doesn't kill kids. In, in, <laughs> yeah, as he said, Corey Cunningham. <laughs> in, in Resurrection, we suppose then that the Michael Myers in H2O is like playing 3D chess. He's like the ultimate mastermind. And he's like, ha ha, (laughs) that is what I wanted you to think. Which also doesn't bode well because he's supposed to have like the mind of a child. Like he's not supposed to, he's supposed to be sort of one track mind. To to be fair, to be, just just, to to speak in defense of Michael Myers here. What if I crush the larynx of a first responder, put my mask on him and pretend that he's me is precisely the kind of game that a child would play. That's okay. That's, that's, fair. Like, that, that's The fair. logic of a child, I think, is very much in play in maybe Michael Myers' you. evil plan here. It's like, or maybe it's just not deliberate because I feel like I didn't get from this film that Mike Myers is like, you know, having revenge against these geeks. How dare they film my house? No. He doesn't know they're there. He's like, oh, no. camera, what? When he finds Tyra Banks, it's like, oh, they're doing something. <laughs> I didn't get that either. I didn't get that either. I didn't even get kind of why he was back there because he gets he gets back there so quickly. He's just suddenly there. Because well, he hibernates under the house. Isn't that the thing? They're, like He has a secret He's sleeper. been living there. I feel like it's just like a spider. He just, he's been there and then he finds these people and he's like, okay. I think, I, I believe this is established in six that the family is also the home. So not only does he have to kill Laurie Strode, but he has to visit like violence on like everyone in that household. In the home because they become his home. Oh. Like hmm. if there was a, if there was a census taker, who would he have to kill? <laughs> <laughs> so he'd have to kill the, the crew and anybody there that evening of the census. Yeah. <laughs> and the census is Halloween night. Of course. Yeah. Um, there's your premise. I mean, we should talk like one of the pitches for this, and it's it's just something I think we discussed with Luke when we By talked about way, Halloween Six. Um, one of the a, actu- a good romantic okay. comedy would be a like a one night fling where they have to fill out the census. Because they're okay, what? keep that idea. Because they're Andrew. in that house. Keep that idea. They, 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 that's where what you'd have to we? fill out the census. <laughs> yeah, what are we exactly? <laughs> um. Okay. Um. But one of the original pitches for this movie, before they settled on like Larry Brand's web geek pitch, was they were originally going to do the trial of Michael Myers, huh. which I kind of like, which is something I think we pitched back in like when we did Halloween Six, when I was kind of shocked to read about it in the undeveloped Halloween movies. But the idea was that that would allow them to bring back all of the characters from the previous movies and satisfy Jamie Lee Curtis's contractually obligated cameo, where they would have Michael Myers on trial and obviously he would get free and murder all of the previous victims or survivors from the previous movies. That was the pitch that they had. Um, But yes, so Halloween H2O, Curtis is like, I have to kill him. Mustafa Akkad is like, you cannot kill him. He is my son. (laughs) Um, And so Kevin Williamson comes up with a solution where they shoot that scene that ends H2O. And then the day after they wrap shooting on H2O, a skeleton team goes back to the location and shoots with like the the EMT and a guy in a Michael Myers mask. You'll notice, by the way, that's why Laurie doesn't appear in any of those flashbacks, because Jamie yeah. Lee Curtis was not on set. <laughs> like, so when they filmed all that pickup stuff, they were doing it the literally the day after they had wrapped H2O. They didn't know what the sequel was going to be. 
They just knew the sequel would open with the reveal that Michael had swapped places with an EMT, which is why, Andrew, it feels a lot like, by the way, I'm just going to dump this exposition to you as we wander through the halls of a psychiatric institution. By the way, um, like, like they, they forgot what they did in H2O. In H2O, they were just like, <laughs> forget the last, like, four movies. <laughs> and all they had to do this time is like, forget that last movie as well. <laughs> You know, that's yeah. just kind of um, none of that no, happened. You're right. You're right. Like, why not just have like opening on Michael Myers' grave and just have like the hand come up with the knife <laughs> and just be like, "He's back." And it, um, but like, and again, and it goes up somebody's bus, like 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 in um, Poultry Geist. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but yes, basically, so Curtis was originally supposed to appear for 30 seconds. That was her, her terms, was if they bring back Michael Myers, I will appear for 30 seconds. But they negotiated her up to, I think, a total of like four minutes of screen time she gets in this movie, mm. uh, ending in her very unceremonious death. Uh, again, the Weinsteins tried to convince her to come. Tender kiss. <laughs> oh, yeah. She also doesn't fall very far. Did anyone else notice yeah. that? She's fine. Like, They're kind of like, maybe like- she'll be fine. We, we're not going to decapitate her. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't think she's dead. <laughs> <laughs> she'll walk it off. It'll be grand. I genuinely <laughs> thought that she was going to come back at the end of this film. And like, it would be then interesting. Or even like, she's watching it on the internet, even just something silly. But no. Something. Well, that that was the pitch. The Weinsteins wanted to end the movie with her coming back to save, obviously, the final girl and pass the torch. And Curtis was like, no, I'm I'm done. I got my check. I got my money. I am out of here. And it is kind of interesting that that means that this is the only Michael Myers-centric Halloween movie that isn't majorly focused on either Loomis or uh, Laurie. Like, so it is, and it's kind of interesting because it doesn't work at all, (laughs) but it it does feel like it's a movie that, like, Jess said, the thing about Michael Myers that's scary is the idea that he is coming for you and he is inevitable and he is unstoppable. And I feel like one of the interesting and completely underserved and undeveloped ideas in this movie, which is a qualification I'm going to have to add a lot when we talk about it, is the idea of it kind of parodying the kind of true crime aspect of, well, let's explain why Michael Myers is the way that he is, where they go around the house and they discover all of this ominous stuff, all this stuff that hints at a dark secret within Michael Myers' past, that, uh, you know, a mystery to be unraveled, a story to be told. And it turns out that it was all placed there by Buster Rhymes because he wanted to get people watching on the internet because he wanted to manipulate the narrative. And really none of that reflects any of what Michael Myers is. He's just a guy who sleeps under the house and murders people. I'm sorry, He he gets some stuff right. Like, he, he makes that skeleton... Do the like Kool Aid Man through through the wall. Through the, the way the, the way that um, the way that um, uh, Austin Powers does earlier in this when he, when he goes through the door and and and, <laughs> and that other bit where it's like Sh- um, Shrek comes through a window. Sorry, no, through a mirror um, and, and and pulls the guy out. So, so the, the, that is, I feel like he does capture the essence of 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 the love. Yes, of Michael Myers. We should point out, by the way, that like Brad Laurie, who plays the role of Michael Myers here, and his second build in the closing credits, which I admire. Mm. The actor playing Michael Myers is second build in the closing credits, but he says that apparently when he got the offer, 
I wasn't going to take the job when because when they called, they said they were looking for a stunt double for Mike Myers, and I thought they were talking about Austin Powers, yeah. and I'm a completely different body type. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I like the hint that Michael Myers was an evil baby. I think that's oh really, with the chair with yeah. the chair. That's so funny. <laughs> that was giving I mean, House of Wax. Like I was kind of like, yeah, oh, I can't yeah. believe they're doing this, and like it just was like speaking to the frustration that I often do have with slasher reboots of like. Now we've got to have a why and we've got to have an explanation and it's about the killer and it's overly simple. And so I really appreciate it that then it was like, no, it's just a cheap trick because that's what audiences want. So I was like, maybe we are going somewhere meta with this. No. I think the problem is they reveal it too early. Yeah. Like the fact that Busta's also dressed up as him, that happens after we know Michael's already in the house. I don't understand why that didn't happen really early on and then Michael comes into the house and then some kind of suspense would build up because you'd be like, well, wait a minute. Which one is it? Or Which one yeah. is sure. it? Right? That's what suspense, that's how suspense works. You've got to like withhold something from the audience. Like he, as you say, we, we know immediately that Michael is alive. So there's no suspense there. We know he's in the house. So there's no suspense there. It's almost like, yeah, he, they just sent him in way too late for this one gag where he's like, wait a minute, I'm playing Michael Myers. The only suspense is that we know the other characters don't know that that's not actually Michael, but then immediately it undercuts that and we see them yeah. realise. So it's like, and I thought they'd maybe do that a couple times to let, no. They don't, they don't play with that idea at all. They use it's like, it for, is it going to be rule of three? Are they going to have it like, is it him? Is it not? No. I did appreciate though when people were dying on the cameras and like Tyra Banks didn't notice because she was making a yes. cup of coffee. She she was making a cup of cream. I think they should have they should have done, yeah, a You want to kind of <laughs> ask her if she wants any coffee in that cream. And then she It was, looks delish. Yeah. It looks delish. I'm on such a whipped cream kick. So I was like, yum, yum. She was shaking her butt. She was cause... ahead of her time as a pumpkin spice latte. She was like, it's Halloween. But I just... I, yeah, but there the... w- Andrew does point out there was... The, like, the camera there felt a little bit gratuitous where it's like, Tyra, we want you to dance out of the chair and just, yeps, we will... Like, this is a movie that is ostensibly... We, we, we want to see your butt and we want to see this pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> Those are the two things America wants. Razzle and dazzle, baby. Razzle and dazzle. We want to see I mean, you make the whole thing as well. You're going to make the whole thing. <laughs> In shot. It's going to be yeah. one exactly. l- a long this take. One, Carpenter-esque long there's take. There's a moment when she's roasting the beans. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> yes! <laughs> but, but like... Uh, Again, that's that's the thing where can like I, this is so. Cl- can, sorry, can sorry. I talk about Tyra for a second? Because she, yeah, she's killed off screen, but it, it it's yeah, it's it's so I wrote that down it's too. so perfect that Tyra is in this because th- this is a year before America's Next Top Model Psycho One, so they did not know that she was a um, reality television star, and I, I just imagine her her being like. Uh, two beautiful ladies stand before me, but I only have one photo in my hand. Sarah. Uh, two Michael Myers stand before me. <laughs> one of them is Busta Rhymes. The other one thinks he's doubling for Mike Myers. Um. I think she's I think she's good as well. I was so annoyed that she got killed off screen. But then it also led me to wonder, who's cutting all, she? But who's cutting all this footage together? And who's going between the feeds? Tyra no, I is think dead. That the, yeah, now what's I happening? I, yeah, who's doing it? I don't think she's doing anything. Yeah, because the users can pick which cameras they want to watch. Yeah, she's not paying attention. Is she just watching yeah. the footage? Yeah. 
That's her whole job? I think she was supposed to like get them to adjust a little bit. Like at times we have her say like, oh, do this with the camera. Or I think it's just as Yeah, like, that angle's not right. <laughs> yeah, a second set of eyes. But I, I did find that strange as well. I, I thought she was interesting. And then we just didn't get enough of her. We didn't give her yeah, any interesting, anything interesting to do, which is so frustrating. Yeah, because she, I think she is good. And again, why kill her off screen? Why doesn't she get a death scene? Again, not to talk too much about House of Wax, but I thought we were going to get like a big, I thought it was going to be a like big Paris deal. Hilton. Like Paris Hilton. Yes, and then yes absolutely. I, I was like, did I miss her death scene? Did I just like fall asleep? I think there were budget concerns with some of, like, they actually had to cut some, like, a whole bunch of this movie is missing, where the sequence at the climax where they're all using pagers to communicate, like, that sequence was supposed to be explained by a sequence in which, like, Busta basically, I love that we're referring to his character as Busta, but Busta Busta, confiscates all of, yes, all of, Freddy, yeah, yeah. very, very, I did not learn any of their names, none of them were memorable enough, and I don't think they say each other's names enough for you to learn. No, that is true, Mr. Kruger. (laughs) Um. Yeah, oh, it's definitely a reference. Mr. Kruger is my father. Oh, please. (laughs) But but he was was supposed to confiscate all of their cell phones going in. Which would explain why yeah. none of them ever call for the cops when this stuff starts happening. Why they have to rely on the viewers to do that. Uh, it's but also that- 2002, oh. right? Yeah, I just I just thought it was 2002, so people didn't have phones. But they had Palm Pilots? They didn't have to dispatch the phone yet. But, I mean, but I didn't have a phone in 2002, I don't think. What age were you then? Did I? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, actually, that's none of I my business. To, I have to go back for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I I feel like maybe I I think I did have a phone in 2002. I think I just didn't use it. I think one time yeah. there was a phone call and I asked somebody like, how do I answer this? <laughs> it's, it's only ever going to be my mom. Yeah, exactly. She's going to be worried if I don't answer. The one other person I know with a phone like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is my mother. <laughs> like, I, again, you mentioned America's Next Top Model. Obviously, this comes out of the wave of reality TV. You've had like Big Brothers, the, you know, you have like, uh, is it what's the real world on MTV? You have survivors taking over the airwaves on, on CBS and all this sort of stuff. Um, like you even also have this explosion in crime. Like you have CSI is huge on television. Law and Order has become a multi-TV franchise at this point point as well and i think there is again the the kernel of an interesting idea that is completely undeveloped within the movie where michael's first kill after the opening sequence with laurie the first kill that he commits in the movie itself as it were is with a camera and again obviously that's a reference to Mm. peeping tom it's a kill lifted directly from uh, peeping tom but he stabs the cameraman with a camera placement on screen while the camera watches. And you have moments earlier on where one of the characters says, oh, cameras are so phallic. And like when Katie Sackhoff is like playing with her camera, she basically deep throats it. Um, Like there is like a kernel of an interesting idea there in making a slasher movie where knives, which are traditionally seen as the phallic implement, the instrument of violence that is shaped like a penis, uh, are replaced with cameras, where the camera is ultimately a weapon, but the movie doesn't do anything with it. Where you get rid of the young woman who refuses to get naked at the beginning, like they always do on America's Next yes. Top Model. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, hey, it's she... 
she justifies it on the show. <laughs> if you're not willing to get exactly. naked. Exactly. It's, it's, it's always like the first episode, they're like, and also there's Jess, who's who's a born again Christian. <laughs> it's like Aww. it's like they have her there Thank- in the first episode just to get rid of her. We're gonna break her. Um, <laughs> you do have to wonder though, what were they thinking going on the show? Yeah. Because like you must, I mean, even if you're very very sheltered, you must know that that's they, part of modeling. They is that get you might them be naked in the to- first episode and never again. <laughs> it's it's purely to get rid of the. I remember one line from uh, America's Next Top Model that stuck with me. One of them who like refuses to get naked and she's like crying. And one of the other girls goes, oh, it's clear that Ginger doesn't even get naked like in front of herself. And I just thought that was so funny and obviously accurate as well. Because like she's so sheltered that she's like, no, oh God. Um, although we have obviously been doing a boob watch this whole time and there are boobs in this. There are. Yes. There are. Yes. I am. Uh, you can tell how comfortable I am with the fact that boob watch has become a regular <laughs> segment on this series. But yes, yes, there are. Uh, Did he turn They them? made it a thing. <laughs> <laughs> they made it. No, 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 no. They made it a thing. It's Halloween's fault. When you were saying earlier that the audience has wanted more busta, I thought you were going to say more boobs. <laughs> more busts. More busts. Well, that was the note which six, wasn't it? Less Donald yeah, Pleasant's the... more boobs, I believe, was more the test screening note they was. got from those boys in Jersey. All, the, all those boys in, in Jersey. But to be fair, she does she does cover herself like when she's... <laughs> they didn't think there was cameras in there. I All, yes. all those boys in Jersey were like, give me some more. Give me some more. <laughs> nice. well, give me some y- more. You and know then Weinstein that- was like, I know what you want. <laughs> <laughs> How long Sorry, have you the, been waiting on I'm, that one, Andrew? I'm not going to go on a bust yeah. around spun run. No, I said, um, go don't, for it. Don't you wish oh, I did? Oh, God. <laughs> um, well... Or, <laughs> would, would, would you break my neck? If, um, sorry. Apparently, Buster Rhymes was originally supposed to die. Freddie was originally supposed to die in this movie, but that was changed Aww. in response to those pes- press screenings. Uh, sorry, those uh, test screenings. Apparently, like he was supposed, there was supposed to be a sequence where uh, one of the characters would kill him with a baseball bat, believing that he was Michael Myers. That, again, getting back to what you know, Jess and and, and Joe. So they just kept it all in. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, basically, yes, they kept it all in and then continued past it as if it had never happened. But there was supposed to be a sequence where one of the characters would kill him with a baseball bat, at which point Michael Myers would appear, break the baseball bat, and kill that person with the same baseball bat they had just killed Buster Rhymes. But apparently audiences said no. So instead, you got the climax of the movie in which Buster Rhymes, like, roundhouse kicks Michael Myers, throws him out a window, yes. like, hangs Tia. him, kicks him into electric wires, says, trick or treat, motherfucker. Rasputin's and- <laughs> Electrocutes yeah. his balls, throws him in a volcano. Oh, yeah, he does electrocute his balls as well. Yep. <laughs> I do think he's, I think he's good in this, though. I think he's got some real presence and... I think his speech about reality TV is actually quite prescient. It's just, as Jess has already pointed out, they don't do anything with it. That's the bit where he says America doesn't want reality. They, they find that shit boring. Exactly. They want the razzle-dazzle. Exactly. Which is a great speech. It's a good idea. And it's very timely in 2002. Just doesn't connect to anything else in the movie, unfortunately. He, he, he definitely pats himself on the back after that as well. He's like, damn, how do I, how do I keep coming up with this I, shit? See, <laughs> I li- but Good I job, like, Buster. I like, that um, whole, <laughs> I like that whole sequence when he came to her room as well, because I guess I'm so conditioned to watch men be like perverts and creeps that I actually thought it was quite sweet 
that he was just kind to her. Yeah. I mean, obviously he's yeah. trying to, he doesn't want her to quit. Obviously, I get that. But you know what I mean? He's not taking advantage of her. He's genuinely trying to calm her down and be like, you know, just sleep on it. Give it some time. I was so scared that he was going to turn around and be like, so do you want to come in or? Yeah, no. It was, it but was, instead he he's like, go back to bed. You got to go to bed. It was really kind of avuncular. And yeah, it did actually kind of surprise me based on kind of how, based on the kind of level that the movie is going for, generally yeah. speaking. Like he, he is a character that gets away from that. Well, I mean, you have Bill. Like, Bill throughout the movie is a walking sexual harassment lawsuit waiting to happen, right? Was it, I like your legs, when do they open? Yeah. That it? Who's that creep? The creep who comes into their dorm room at the beginning. Like, do they know that person? Because they let him stand there for a long time. It's like, just spouting this crap. Right? And then the, it's like, get out of here. Yeah. And you're like, what, did you know? Oh, yeah. He just, <laughs> not there, he just, there he just like, roams the hall. He's fine. There, like, what? Who is that? They were like, Why'd you let him in? They were like, let him speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They were like, wait, I want to see where this is yeah. going. Like, what, who is that? <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of strange moments in this film like that where it's like, this just doesn't make sense. It's not just that it doesn't make sense for this film. I don't understand what is happening. Yeah. What is this? Exactly. Like, Katie, Sa- Katie Sackhoff's constant big creepy grin yeah was very off-putting well, I thought that was gonna again I thought that go, was gonna go somewhere is she somehow I, it was gonna have some some kind of payoff yeah. like she was mentally something was or she was putting it on because they wanted them all to be like they were trying to kind of vet them for being a little bit kind of crazy and so I thought yeah. that was gonna be something and it wasn't yeah. well again like uh, she was meant to be the final girl they wanted katie sackoff's character to be the final girl uh, in like a reversal of the classic you know but instead they go to sarah so like even katie sackoff's death i think is completely disappointing like she gets her head chopped off and it yeah. bounces down the steps but like she she literally finds a body gets covered in blood and then michael appears behind her as you said there is no suspense there's no surprise. There's no tension. It's just like, oh, found a dead body. Now there's a second dead body. And also my head came off with this butcher knife that Michael's apparently been sharpening. Sorry, Andrew. The The idea of the two Michael Myerses means that we as an audience don't care as much when someone gets caught because we're like, oh, this is another fake out. And the characters in the movie don't care as much because they also know that there is a fake Michael Myers. You know what I mean? So, like, we as an audience aren't terrified, nor are the characters terrified. So, like, like, like they're kind of looking at it and they're like, "Is that a wig? Is that a is that a fake head? Is that my friend's actual head?" <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's actually a really good point because we've had this mm. thing with again, the film doesn't understand what it's doing or why things happen because that could have worked in terms of Buster Rhymes has been faking stuff. It's revealed he's been faking stuff. So they could have reasonably been like the War of the Worlds thing of like, Mm. oh, this is fake and you're pretending and oh, you're dead. And no, (laughs) it's not competent enough to make that connection, which is weird. Yeah. And and in terms of of other stuff, like Andrew mentions the two Michael Myers, right? Which is, it's a great image. The idea of Michael Myers Mm. looking at a person dressed up as michael myers who is looking at a person dressed up as michael myers again it feels like that like turtles all the way down self-parody kind of thing where it's like we've gotten so postmodern, we now have michael myers meeting a person pretending to be michael myers but that scene goes nowhere because freddie just goes get out of here and michael goes 
okay, I guess. That is the best thing that has happened in any of these movies. <laughs> this is what we've all been getting wrong. Like, you just need to send him away. Yeah. you. The, yeah, like like a bad dog. That scene when Freddy is berating Shrek is, is like, it's tremendous. It, it's, it, it, I, I, I love that. <laughs> But it's it's more than Michael's, very, Michael's response. He's actually very biddable. Like we know by six, so like so you just needs to be told what to do. <laughs> but like it's it's more that yeah, he just kind of like leaves and goes away. He goes okay, point made. Um, I'll kill someone else for a few minutes. Yeah, yeah I'll just I'll just busy myself over here. Yeah. Don't you know Tyra Banks is outside? <laughs> what are you doing, you idiot? Get out there and kill her. I left the door open. <laughs> I, I left the back door unlocked for you. I, again, <laughs> it is worth noting that this arise, Andrew, I said I didn't have a list. I lied. Um, this <laughs> arrives in this interesting phase in the early 2000s where studios like are aware that African-American audiences exist and they are aware that they like to go to movies and they're aware that they like to go to genre movies in particular. But also they're like, we don't want to actually make movies specifically for African-American audiences. We just want to see if we can fold them into existing frameworks. So you have this interesting space at the turn of the millennium where studios take existing properties and existing genres and like let black writers and directors work on them and cast like, predominantly african-american casts so i'm thinking for example of scary movie the Wyans, obviously that is the same year as yeah. andrew prepare to punch the air leprechaun in the hood that is the same yes. year as black knight <laughs> then the I following see. year you have scary movie 2 you've got catwoman in 2003 leprechaun back to the hood uh is in 2003 as well in 2004 seen that one <laughs> you haven't seen that one alas that's that's a gap in your pop culture knowledge uh then that's you here. have you have like the um <laughs> You have them doing, like, National Lampoon's Vacation as Johnson Family Vacation. You have them doing Airplane as Soul Plane. You have them doing a remake of The Honeymooners, just called The Honeymooners in 2005. You have the race-inverted Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, just called Guess Who, in which, like, you know, you have Bernie Mac confronted with every parent's worst nightmare, which is Aston Kutcher's Dating Your Daughter. Aston Kutcher. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Uh, And then you also have, like, Who's Your Caddy in 2007, which is, like, what if we took Caddyshack and made it for a predominantly African-American audience? And it's interesting that, like, you kind of have this here. Where, like... Well, it's the most... It's the most black characters in any Halloween movie, right? With three. That's it. It's the most diverse cast. Yeah, three. I know, which is, like... Yeah, usually represented. A huge victory for the series. (laughs) But... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, new high we're, we're, we're pushing for representational diversity but I, I do is, find it interesting is there more than three no three I mean it, including kind of uh, sm- uh, smaller uh, characters in it you have Tyra Buster Rhymes and John Patrick Thomas is that it I think so yeah I think yeah, so yeah is there Maybe anyone in the it. crowd scenes is there anyone in the well there's Lauren Gale who's the nurse who who gets like the who explains what happened via flashback? To be fair, she fills the like Octavia Spencer role here. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. No, I thought there was somebody else. Yeah, it it does so feel Dan, like Dan Joffrey as well. I'm sorry, I'm just looking through the through through the cast. Yeah. He's the guy where uh, uh, Willie. I'm trying to I'm trying to remember <laughs> who uh, any of these what, people what, are. <laughs> yeah, I. I mean, you do have, yeah. like, one of the two boys goes to the party as Jules from Pulp Fiction because this oh. is a Miramax film. 
um, as it's well. It's so not okay. It's so not okay to have him with the, the afro and the fro pick and everything. When they first walked in, I thought they were the oh, Blues Brothers. Yes, and then same. I, was, I did not get who that was. It was only, yeah, it was only when I saw the afro and, and the fro pick and I was like, Jesus Christ. I mean, at least he's not doing blackface, I guess, but it's still not appropriate. It, it is something to say in the year 2002, at least he's not doing blackface. Yeah. Yeah, he's not Justin Trudeau. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a Miramax movie. It's, it's a Dimension movie uh, produced by the Weinsteins in 2002, of course. They're going to re- they're going to reference Quentin Tarantino uh, in some way, shape, or form, but I, I kind of I do think it's it's in, and you have like the soundtrack is more R and B inflected as well, and it's kind of it's it's odd because it's like not at all referenced in the text of the film itself, where like Mike Myers, as we point out, he tends to kill in the suburbs of Chicago, these areas that were like you know the result of white flight. They're gated communities white families that fled the city and and kind of again the racial diversity of the city and he is this white-faced figure and it's kind of it's interesting that like halloween resurrection is like by the way we have the most african-american characters ever three of them and we're gonna have an r&b inflected soundtrack and it's just like yeah no that that's it that's what we've done we've done it's a huge victory this will help us reach audiences that feel like they've been underserved finally this movie will be a breakout hit it's it's interesting. It's just to place it in the context of its particular cultural moment, um, in a way that yeah is very 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 interesting. But Joey, is there anything else you want to talk about with Halloween Resurrection? Anything we haven't discussed already? Um, Michael Myers still isn't walking right. He's still walking weird. Um, <laughs> thankfully, in 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 the next movie we're going to talk about, he's got some presence. He's got some real presence, and he's walking. He's walking with determination. So I look forward to that. The only other thing is that there's no sound on the live feed when it first comes up. And you're like, what? Why is there no sound? Was that a problem with the movie itself? Like, was that an in-story thing? I also think it's interesting, just because you mentioned about them targeting black audiences. I think it's interesting that Buster Rhymes had to rewrite his dialogue because he clearly was like, this isn't how I talk. But I mean, I guess no black people worked behind the scenes on the movie. So it that was kind of the issue with it was that they were like, oh, if we put black people in it, that's great. We're done. And they, it, it took an actual black person to come along and be like, well, actually, you know, this doesn't really sound like me. This sounds like it was written by a white person. He um, and went, went on to win an Oscar for screenwriting. <laughs> uh, you're terrible. You're a uh, terrible person. And, and, and his acceptance uh, speech when he accepted Halloween, that Oscar was give me some more, was it? <laughs> give me some more. <laughs> um, but... Um, I want Best Actor as well, which he was up for later in the evening. But like, I, there were several endings this movie considered. Uh, the one that I like is like Larry Brand, the screenwriter who was responsible for bringing Michael Myers back, was like, okay, H2O like killed him pretty definitively by whacking his head off with an axe, and we had to find a way to bring him back. What we should do is we should do something like even more extreme, so the next sequel has to do something even more extreme to bring him back. So how about he... like. After he gets shocked and burnt alive and he's in the fire, in the balls. his body in the balls. Yes, in the, the balls. balls yes. We know, Andrew. <laughs> what, balls. what if what if he spontaneously combusts? That was like that would have been so doesn't work for Halloween because Michael Myers in particular is death. We don't care what happens to him. We don't care. Like, he is somewhat a little bit supernatural. So it's like, it doesn't matter what you do to him. He'll keep coming for you. 
So I just don't think that that works for this particular killer. Also, I think they were they were overthinking it because no spoilers, but in the modern trilogy, there's a similar burning and all that happens is, no, put the fire out. <laughs> so like that's all they needed to do was just leave him burning. And then in the next movie, they could be like, eh, fire, the, the fire engine came in time. He didn't. Yeah, overthinking. His jumpsuit is just, it's flame retardant. It's... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's why he's. That's why he refuses to wear anything. I, else. I do love that. Like again, Freddie pitches him. He's like a shark in a in a baggy jumpsuit, and it's like that feels yes. like like it's like, it feels like that's both a compliment and an insult. It's like it's a back. It's kind of a read. I mean, and also, how are we supposed to find a jumpsuit to fit a shark? Like, you know what I mean? He wants to be firm, well, form fitting shark, for the shark. Sharks, it has a fin. Do sharks jumpsuits? That's on fourth. I am. Um, there's. <laughs> um the the shark jumpsuit emporium um no that's I, also I like that it's baggy though because it makes more sense it's like it's just something that he's just put on yeah. to yeah. just be anonymous and kind of get through yeah. and he just continues to wear it plus if i'm go- if i'm going to change the oil or like kill 15 <laughs> people i'm going to put on a boiler suit <laughs> like, yeah exactly i don't want to get my my good clothes dirty and I mean, we do uh, see the room that he's living in with the rats and stuff. It does seem like he has a good room. I like, by the way, that he has a bird cage, implying that at some stage he kept birds. Like, I, I like the idea of Michael yeah. just tending to birds. Yeah, little yeah. pet. Um, also, I like the idea that he has just one press clipping about Laurie Strodes. Where, like, is it like Halloween, like yeah. the Curse of Michael Myers? You have that big board. You have Tommy's big board of conspiracy stuff about Michael. But Michael's like, no, I read this one article that it was very thorough on the subject. That's all I need. What? I was, know her. <laughs> was that was that put there by Freddy though? I don't think Freddy knew about that room. Isn't the whole thing is that it's real? Like that's the thing. She goes in, and because Tyra says like, "Oh, we didn't see, like we didn't find the yeah." Oh, okay. and she, yeah, t- which which in itself is stupid, <laughs> particularly because like it's right beside all the made in Taiwan bones that they yeah, like, assembled. The ta- yes, the, the Taiwanese skeleton who yeah. uh, attacks them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like, should we should we take a look behind that? Nah, nah, it'll be grand, it'll be grand. Nah, it's grand, but be grand. It'll I be do grand. love the idea of him going out and buying, like, a hot stove as well, because he, he does have a hot stove that he cooks rats on. So I like the idea of, like, Michael just going out to the shop and being like, hmm, which one? Um, <laughs> He's cooking, but it's rats. Yeah. It's like, it's finally... if you can eat a rat, are you going to cook it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Would you be honest? Michael Myers has started eating. Which he hasn't really no, he ate, done. In, has he, he ate a dog before. He did. He ate a he dog ate a in dog, the first one. Yeah. In, oh. Uh, which we, I'm sure we will talk about in two movies time. But yes, he ate a dog in the first Halloween. We sure will. <laughs> Jess, is there anything in your notes? I did not realize he had ate that dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it wasn't food waste. We talked about it. We said, like, it's not food waste because he did eat the dog. Okay. But he didn't finish the rat. No, he didn't finish the rat. I'm guessing they maybe interrupted him. Those stupid, sexy kids with all their cameras. <laughs> Maybe that's why, he, maybe he's hangry. I kind of love him eating a dog. Because again, like the death thing, it's just like you've got to kill the dog because you've got to kill the domestic and the dog is, you know, the symbol of like security. And he, yeah, that's exactly what Michael Myers would do. The thing for me with the dog in, in the first movie in particular is that it taps into the the way that in the first Halloween, Michael Myers is kind of weird and unknowable and he just does things and you don't know why and you can't explain it. And it's kind of scarier that way. Yeah. Like as the sequels go on, you kind of lose that. He becomes codified. And particularly like in two and four where 
Two is like, okay, well, he can't just randomly be hunting for Laurie Strode. She has to be his sister. And then, like, we talked about it in four when he escapes. It's just like, well, he has to steal the same mask. He has to steal the same jumpsuit because that's what Michael Myers looks like. It's kind of codified and and kind of explained. And and obviously that gets to things like the, the Cult of Thorn stuff where you have to explain everything about him in the weirdest possible detail in five and six. Mm. And like, you know... The Rob Zombie movies, which we're going to talk about, kind of take that to its logical extreme where they're like, look, if we're going to explain Michael Myers, let's at least commit to the idea. Yeah. And it's kind of fascinating because you you couldn't today have Michael Myers just eat a dog in a movie because viewers would be like, hey, that's a really weird thing for Michael Myers to do. That's not what Michael Myers does. That doesn't fit with our idea of what Michael Myers is. But you go back and you watch the first film and yeah, he eats a dog. People just don't talk about it. Yeah. I kind of find, I find that really fascinating. And I think that's something that like gets at what you lose when you turn something like Halloween into a franchise where you kind of make it something codifiable, something explicable, something with a set of tropes and signifiers. I don't know. And also feeds into, again, him using the boiler suit. Like he's just doing whatever it takes to survive. He's just like, I'll eat whatever is there. Yeah, I'll just eat whatever, you know what it's I mean? It's possible he left a rat for the next day. Like it's like it's like lasagna yeah. is it's better. It's got flavor. Uh, it could yeah. be. Yeah, you know? yeah. Also, I mean, look, the the jumpsuit is baggy. He wants to stay baggy. Like he's he, right. he's 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 auditioning for Tyra. That's why Tyra, you know, he wants to go out. He's like I feel <laughs> exactly. like I can pull this off. It's 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 Michael uh yeah, you you're you you've killed a lot of people, but I I doubt your commitment to danger entertainment. Like, <laughs> you you need to lose some weight. Like this is two thousand and two, uh, um, uh, America's Next Top Model. This isn't the more body positive kind of uh, version. Uh, Jess, is there anything you want to talk about with Halloween Resurrection we haven't discussed already? Anything in your notes jumping out at you? Yeah. So again, what breaks my heart in any slasher, in particular reboot, where we have this thing where they have to completely basically go around the final girl and and bring her back and bring her back into the cycle of trauma it really breaks my heart that we actually get something competent happening in this film and that's why it stuck out to me so much there's foreshadowing so when the two nurses are talking they go oh we found her on the roof a few times like she and it's as if like oh why is she not escaping why is she not getting away so what she's been doing up there is like rigging it all up in case the person she decapitated comes back turned out not to be Michael Myers, which is so horrific because it's like, why is she assuming that? But also her whole life just revolves around this possibility of this demonic figure that she can't escape from. And that just proper gets under my skin as the the final girl trope and the way that they get caught in these cycles with reboots it just it kills me to be fair she does know that the person she killed wasn't michael myers like that's meant to be her who pulls the mask off the beard of the mustache face except it's clearly not it's clearly a man it's like clearly an extra that they had on set like that day and couldn't afford jamie leaker is that supposed to be her i thought that was supposed to be a cop okay who's got the most womanly hands i figured it was a cop Okay, but it, it, she knows anyway. That's why she's in the institution. She had the breakdown because she killed her father of three, I think. Yeah, I think but, so too. No, I think that is canon. That's why she doesn't kill him when given a chance as well, because she's yeah, that, she's like, I have to know. She says, I she's have She's doubting herself. She, in case, yeah, sure. Right, she's worried, yeah. yeah. I mean, she could just leave him up there until like hospital security gets up I'd there, to say, be fair. If you're already 
in hospital for killing somebody who you thought was Mike Myers. Give it a crack, just in case. She's seen double jeopardy. She knows. What are the odds of it happening twice? She knows that she can do that again, and and she won't be tried for the same offence. Andrew, as somebody who did study law, I feel like I have to tell you that is not what double jeopardy is. Darren studied law, so he he can confirm that this is true. (laughs) This is not (laughs) what double jeopardy is. (laughs) But have you seen that movie, Darren? (laughs) If you you have attempted murder, you get a freebie when you get out. It's like, it was attempted. I didn't complete it. I get to complete it. Exactly. I watched the movie. That's my homework. Now I understand the law. Yeah. like he's pursuing you with a knife like there's no ambiguity here it's definitely someone trying to kill you it might not be Michael Myers but it is someone who's broken into your room in the middle of a night with a big knife I guess she thinks it's Howard is is Howard that character (laughs) yeah with With the the, the knife and the John Wayne Gacy stuff yeah he's a that's a strange character as well yeah he's like a strange choice there well, again, there Michael were... Myers, born in 1957, killed kill like 12 people. None of those other movies happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he did Halloween 1, Halloween 2, and Halloween But again, H2. it's like, is he is he calculated? Like, I was like, is he going to pin it on him? Not really, sort of. He he's a mastermind. Like 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 yes. <laughs> four-dimensional chess. We, we establish yeah, that 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 but he's. But why? Like, is he or isn't he? Is he just a shark that's just moving towards whatever is in his path, or not? Like, you he's... can't have it both ways. He's Kaiser Soze. Well, he does do the fake, like he fakes his head thing. Like, I love that. Like, he as soon as he realizes he's dangling upside down, he like clutches his head. And he's like, "Let's play on our sympathies." Yeah, which is like the most like childish like. How do I pantomime I might not be Michael Myers without speaking out loud and breaking the rules of Michael Myers? But like, yeah, I mean, the the, the, the thing with the that John Wayne Gacy character, or the character who knows all the serial killer stuff, that was, it will shock nobody to discover, meant to be another deleted police subplot in these movies. We talked about how in Halloween H2O, they got to the point of casting Charles S. Dutton as a police officer who was supposed to be investigating Michael Myers like Morgan Freeman in Seven, and then cut that immediately before shooting. There was supposed to be a subplot here that would find another police officer who was basically, um, who was investigating the case, who found the bloody knife because Michael gives him the knife. And then kind of continues off and carries on on his way. And everyone's all like, oh, of course, it's Howard who did the killing. So Howard's to blame. And the cop is like, no, I've got this all figured out. I believe he was supposed to end up like shot at the climax, but it would be revealed that he had a bulletproof vest on so he could survive like Buster Rhymes. But yeah, it was, it again, deleted from the movie at, at very, very short notice. But they just kept pieces in like it did. The whole <laughs> yeah. movie just reads in this way. I said Frankensteinian before, like there's all these kind of nearly it's going to do this, it's, but not like red herrings, just like no. random things. Random thoughts. Yeah. Dangling threads. The thing that happens with movies that go through like 10 drafts where you delete the threads but don't get everything and then it kind of just stays in there because you, why, I, why didn't you remove it earlier? Sorry, Anne. I, I will say like the, the Rosenthal has been uh, accused of not being scary and I think this movie kind of bears it out. But I think it is an effective enough jump scare at the end, even though we know it's kind of coming. It certainly worked. We know on it's me coming in the morgue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I've, one? I've, I've, 
the one where they open the body bag and his eyes his eyes open yeah I mean again to Rosenthal's direction of this movie the opening scenes with Laurie are very odd because he's trying to do the carpenter perspective shot but he's kind of not which is very disorienting sometimes yeah sometimes he does and it's it's like the um again it's like the head the camera stuff right this got dinged in reviews at the time for aping the Blair Witch Project um and again that's probably why they don't do as much like uh camera footage from the glasses that the characters are wearing but it's like curiously non-committal where it's like stay in his perspective or don't but don't like alternate within the shot i don't do it and then cut away and then cut back like Mm. the whole thing is that sequence is unsettling because you are in his perspective as you go through the house inescapably yes yes whereas this movie's like no you need a break let's let's get a breather let's establish where he is and then okay okay you're you're cool let's go back into his head i don't think it knows why that works like i think it's just like this is a thing that carpenter does but not why it's done because there's actually like there's a piece as well where the opening sequence is very interesting because some of the lighting stuff is kind of interesting or like they do a thing with a silhouette with him and the knife on the wall Mm. but i think it's just like that's an image that he's seen and is like that's nice and just throws it in and the thing with the eyes opening at the end it's like that's something that works because it's something he's seen but like does he know why it works it's just there like there's a really odd moment where you're in michael's perspective and he's trying to open laurie's door and the camera shakes and it's like that failing to open a door <laughs> is not scary yeah, I, I I can relate to him. I've never related harder to Michael in the, in any moment than like he can't open a door. I am so embarrassed. I've been in that perspective. But he can crush a guy's head between his hands. It's, yeah. it's like what's happening. So Andrew, is there anything you want to say about Halloween Resurrection? Canonically, your favorite movie in the history of the medium. <laughs> uh, I'm just uh, struggling to. There was the oh yeah high shot low shots and 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 mid shots where again like yeah where <laughs> the, the movie doesn't seem to take that lesson on board which I kind of love. <laughs> <laughs> it's like these mid shots they're just boring. <laughs> and Rick Rosenthal's like mid shots you got us. Um. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to make I'm going to take on the challenge of doing like these mid shots and make it uh, oh I failed okay well at least I tried um, yeah um, I, I, I like the thing about the uh, Freddy saying kind of like fear is motivating that it, like it makes you want to be alive and like he, he he's he's trying to kind of um, make some point to her but also about kind of horror what horror is yeah exactly and at the same time it's like the film doesn't know that yeah. no it's no. like it's not hearing itself. Well, like, there are moments in this movie that feel like it's getting close to something resembling a thematic point, like the opening lecture that I believe is given by Rosenthal himself, where he talks about, like, Carl Jung and the shadow and the collective unconscious and yes. the idea that Michael Myers might be all of these things. And you have, like, the you mentioned the shark. The shark metaphor comes back several times over the course of the movie, which is what it seems to be pitching but it also doesn't do anything with those. Like it, it, it just says those lines and it's like, that's, I guess what a Halloween movie does. Like they have a scene in a classroom where a lecturer talks about philosophy or fate or, or kind of these high minded concepts. And then the stabbing starts, right? Just that's how these movies work, right? 
it doesn't really matter though, like any of this stuff, because you don't really, well, I certainly didn't care if any of these people survived really. Like they, mm. and like Sarah is the one that you're supposed to care about most, but there's yeah. just so little done with her or for yes. her as a character that you're like, I don't know. Yeah, she's so boring. She, like, like she seems to think she's better than these people, but like I, I don't really know that much about her. Um, yeah, we don't know why. I think it's just hinting at some kind of tragedy with her. Like it's she's got yes. something going on. She because she something keeps seeing happened. him as well. She keeps seeing Michael. Mo- so it's like. It, is it a fear thing? Is it a PTSD thing? Like, so it seems like maybe something's going on, but then they get bored of that and don't pick it up again. Yeah. She has some hidden depth that isn't developed. <laughs> so well hidden that the movie is completely unaware of it. I mean, yeah. like, that that that's the, the Sarah stuff. And again, this is we're into interesting ideas the movie doesn't realize is interesting or doesn't develop. The, the kind of relics of like perhaps a, an earlier version of the script that was more coherent. But, like, as Brand points out, like, it's very pointed that, like, when you see Laurie's room, you see the ragdoll. And Sarah, I believe, also has a ragdoll in her college room, which creates this kind of, like, suggestion of a, a comparison between the two. Mm. And when you go to Michael Myers, like, bedroom underneath the house, he also has a ragdoll that he has painted goth-style black and stabbed in the <laughs> eye with two knitting needles. So you have this idea of, oh, there's a symbolic, Jungian, unconscious link between the old final girl, the new final girl, and Michael Myers, but none of it is at all coherent or logical or communicated visually through the film. If you weren't looking for those rag dolls, you wouldn't see them. Horror just has dolls. (laughs) I've seen, definitely, I've seen dolls in horror films. Like, I feel like that's on a level what is happening, is it's just, this happens sometimes, right? Did I do it right? (laughs) Um... All right, is there anything else anybody wants to talk about? Anything we haven't talked about? Anything jumping out at people? In terms of inappropriate smoking, I guess that building ends up inappropriately smoking at the end. In terms of food waste, uh, Andrew, I mean, like, we do have a chef. There are all those spices. The spices get thrown in Michael's face at one point, I guess. That's kind of food waste. This is true. Um, like a charging bear. You just... Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and in terms of like Robocop reference, Andrew, I'm going to turn this over to you. I guess we do see from the perspective of the characters like in Robocop. Exactly. This is true. Yeah. And obviously this is a brilliant postmodern media satire like Robocop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we get an obligatory Robocop reference and a gratuitous Robocop reference, clearly. Uh, all right, then. So what we normally do at the end of the podcast. That's what, all, all you can ask for, really, from a movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is why it's on the 250. This is why it's per- this is why it's Andrew's favorite movie in the history of cinema. Um and why I really like we're we're taking we'll we'll talk about it but we are taking a break before we talk about Rob Zombie's Halloween because Andrew just needs to process how amazing this movie was. Oh. <laughs> and sit with it. In fact, by the time we come back to talk about Rob Zombie's Halloween, he may have completely forgotten how great this movie was. Sorry, the, Andrew. The, the movie made me think about Seed of Chucky because isn't there a part in Seed of Chucky where someone's head gets cut off, but it's in like a movie pop? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Somebody, yeah. Yeah. Somebody <laughs> starts licking it. I thought it was going to be like that with um, with, 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 with Katie Sackhoff's head. head. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That they were going to be like, oh, we're so scared. And it's like, oh, give me a kiss. <laughs> and blood comes out of it. And they're like, oh, wow, that's realistic. I think I think like even before you had seen this movie, you had pegged this as a movie that like, ch- like seed of Chucky has in its sights, like from the <laughs> outset, where it's like the casting yeah. of Red Man is very much like feels like it's riffing on the casting of like Buster Rhymes here. To be fair, 
All right. So with that in mind, what we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something, something they're enjoying at the moment. It could be something related to the movie we discussed, something unrelated, just something that brings them joy in these uncertain times. So to give Joey, to give Jess a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. Um, I'm going to recommend a novel that I recently finished, um, and uh, that was another Sally Rooney um, novel, which is Beautiful World, Where Are You? I think it is the most recent one. Now, if you've read other Rooney novels, you're not kind of getting much new in terms of like the a lot of the characters can kind of be similar to the to the characters that you're familiar with in their novels. And I think in terms of the plot, it's often kind of a uh, two very smart people who aren't communicating their love for each other. <laughs> to one another or, or, or there can be more than two characters so it's like the halloween franchise in that way is what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> this this has got nothing to do with halloween i have to say but <laughs> but aside from the characters or the plot which is kind of like i do i i i, I do like the way she kind of like treats the, the 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 sort of like the human condition i think i said that i i don't think her like political kind of uh commentary stuff is especially strong but I liked the theme and it was around this kind of idea that I think a lot of young people have that were in a sort of, and older people in fact, there's a lot of books being written about it at the moment, this idea of being in the last kind of days of Rome and of, of Western civilization sort of collapsing and us having nothing really to, 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 to hope for um, uh, in, in the future. And like di- disillusioned Marxists. So that's where that idea came from, because we talked about that recently, actually, you and I. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's um, so I, 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 I thought it was quite good. It was very self-reflective, um, kind of the novel, as as one is sort of used to when they're reading Sally Rooney, to the point where sometimes it can be like, like a little bit insufferable. But um, this time it's going further because the. The author surrogate is an actual millionaire author, <laughs> or, or at least one of the author surrogates. So it's it feels very sort of on the nose, and you it's it's it includes a lot of stuff I think that some authors would sort of remove because like it's a a, a sort of a a writing exercise to get these kind of like thoughts out of your mind. It's like how do I feel about being a famous author? I'll write that down, but I'll also put it in my novel. <laughs> You know, um, but it, but it, it's it, it's interesting. I'd say overall, I enjoyed it, and, uh, and and she's a very important writer. Right, and Joey, what would you recommend? What are you enjoying at the moment? I'm going to recommend just because I've mentioned it so many times when we've been doing this series, and because of the connection with another rapper turned actor that we've also met in the Halloween series, I'm going to recommend Deep Blue Sea, just because I love it so much. It's probably one of my favorite films of all time. It would be on my personal 250. Um, it's just it's so fantastic and the animatronics still look incredible to this day obviously because they're practical and you don't usually get practical sharks in uh, in shark exploitation which is kind of a shame but LL Cool J is so so great at it and he's so much fun and yeah if you enjoyed Buster Rhymes in this and you thought oh I could have dealt with a little bit more of him you get plenty of LL Cool J in Deep Blue Sea so if you haven't seen it even if you had revisit it it definitely holds up I mean, and that shark isn't wearing a boiler suit, but there is more than one shark, exactly. so it balances out. Exactly, um, exactly. <laughs> Jess, what would you recommend? What are you enjoying at the moment? 
So I would recommend if you haven't seen it already, find out when it comes out on streaming anywhere you can. Talk to me. It's just a film that I think is for horror fans really interesting. It has some kind of new things to say. And what really struck me about it is it's just so respectful of its teenage audience. It understands TikTok. It wants to engage with it. Yeah. And it knows how to make that work. But it also knows how to kind of resolve the tension between technology and horror that I feel like happens a lot where you kind of have to dispatch the mobile phone. We don't do that here. We find a way to kind of engage with it. So, yeah, that's what I would say. Well, that's, there. It's from, is it, was it uh, Danny and Michael Philippao, who are both like YouTube creators? Like mm-hmm. they're big in Australia and stuff like that. So they understand the, the medium. Yeah. yeah. I, I would second that recommendation. If you haven't seen Talk to Me, see Talk to Me. Uh, as we've been going, I've been recommending eighth movies in fran- I've been recommending numbered movies in franchises that correspond to the Halloween movie we've been discussing. Uh, generally horror movies. So I guess I'm going to go out on a limb and say Star Trek: First Contact, the eighth Star I Trek movie. I knew you were going to say First is- Contact. <laughs> <laughs> Which, well, I did give myself a lot of runway there, Andrew, to, to get you, there. You but didn't yes. say You didn't say Undiscovered, uh, sorry. Um, yeah, you didn't say Undiscovered Country for six. I think you said like... Um, Saw uh, six. I am, Saw I am six. trying to, I am trying to, obviously the masterpiece of the Saw sequels. <laughs> um, but I am trying to stay vaguely horror adjacent. So I feel like I can get away with like First Contact because yes, it's basically a I zombie movie. I think you movie. can. Yeah, it's a much, zombie movie yeah. in space, basically. Uh, the other thing I've been doing is I've been following John Carpenter. And it's scary. Well, it, it, I think it is. I think it has a number of really good jump scares. but Like spine tingling. Spiner. Spiner, ting- ting- spiner tingling. There is a spiner tingling scene in there, um, which is also bone chilling in many ways. <laughs> but I will also, uh, I've been following John Carpenter um, along with this in parallel, watching his filmography in parallel with the Halloween franchise, which has been interesting. 2002 is this is a year after the release of Ghosts of Mars, which is his second to last film, which is not great, but I had a good time with. It's basically, it, it is this, this thing that you arrive at here, which is the post-postmodern film, where things have become so reflexive and self-aware that they are referencing themselves. Where John Carpenter is remaking one of his own movies, Assault on Precinct 13 and The Thing, which were themselves originally remakes of, like, Rio Brava and The Thing from Another World. So you have this, like, weird reflexivity of, like, pop culture eating its own tail. It's not great, but it's fun, and it's like his 90s movies it uses practical effects so you watch it and it has a tactility that modern blockbusters don't so when like is it what's it it's desolation williams is the name of ice cube's character jericho (laughs) smith i think is the character played by jason statham we used to have names in this industry we used to have names um and then Finally, uh, I'll recommend the Immortal Hulk comic, uh, which I've been reading as well, which is is basically, it's a horror-themed comic. It's a horror-themed reboot of the Hulk. It's written by Al Ewing. It's illustrated by Joe Bennett. Uh, a massive edition came out recently, the Omnibus Collecting, all 50 issues. Read it cover to cover. Andrew knows that I mostly keep my comics in cellophane, so it is the highest compliment that I have actually read the physical copy of this gigantic turtle-cracking volume of Hulk comics. So that's Immortal Hulk, well worth a read. All right, if listeners are looking for a bit more Jess, a bit more Joey online, where can they find you? Watch out, watch up to. So Jess, where are you at? So I am still on Twitter slash X and I will be until it's not there anymore or until he tries to charge me. So I am Tada underscore Jess. Uh, I, I don't know why you would feel uncomfortable giving that man your banking details. <laughs> <laughs> I... 
sure, surely he's going to pay you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he used to pay us. <laughs> yeah, with entering. Yeah, yeah. I, I've gotten several of those emails that are like, Darren, you could be making literally dozens of dollars. And I'm like, you Thanks. probably could. I, I, <laughs> well, you probably could. Yeah, you've got an actual following. <laughs> but it's like literal dozens. It's it's like, is my soul worth that little? Is the question. But Joey, where are you at? What what where can people find you? And what are you? It's a Faustian bargain. Well, similar to Jess, I'm still. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, here's twelve bucks. <laughs> my soul. Sorry. It's, it's my my best and final offer. Um, but sorry, Joey. Sorry, Joey. Uh, yeah, no, similar similar to Jess, I'm still on there. Obviously, I won't pay for it either. That would be absolute madness because it's a cesspit. Um, but I'm at Joey LDG. Perfect. If you want to see me rant about Saw. <laughs> <laughs> you saw Saw X and now are an ex-Saw fan. Um but yeah. yes, so you can follow the podcast at, at the 250. We're on Stitcher and SoundCloud, on iTunes, wherever you can find us. Uh, we are doing the full 13 Halloween movies. However, because Andrew has had his brain rocked by the movie that we just watched, because it feels like he needs time to still process the wonder that he has just seen, we're going to take a week off. We're going to give Joey a week off. Next week, we are going to be joined by the fantastic Jason Coyle, the wonderful Jen Gannon, and we are going to be talking about Ghost. That's right, the Patrick Swayze starring Ghost. Uh, after that, the week after that, we'll be back. We'll talk about Rob Zombie's Halloween 1. Joey will, of course, be back for that. Dr. Bernice Murphy, who kicked off this season talking about Carpenter's uh, Halloween, will be back for that. Thank you so much, Jess. Thank you so much, Joey. Cheers. Take care, guys. Bye. Thanks, Thanks so much, everyone. Bye. Bye. bye.